the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Gary Wagner will take us back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 through 19. It's a message that once we tell you the title of, you'll probably tune away. Please don't. This is a very encouraging look at how God's design to bless you and I in our faithfulness really shines. Jesus and your money, next. End times, marriage, the family, we can come up with topics here from a Christian perspective and point of view and draw in thousands of listeners. But when we start messing with your wallet, your pocketbook, oh, crickets start showing up. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. We invite you to join us today. Be bold and courageous. Give a listen for the next couple of days as we take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 through 19. It's called Jesus and Your Money. No, we're not trying to get you to spend money on us or anything else. We're just trying to get you faithful and delighted in what God has done for you. Here's Pastor Gary and today's program. The Apostle Paul is telling the young minister Timothy to instruct his church as to how it is to live in an evil culture, and that is what we have been looking at for the last couple of weeks in the sixth chapter of First Timothy. And the last thing we saw last week was verses 13 and 14, where he says to Timothy, teach them to be faithful to the profession of faith they have made in Christ. May they not bring it any reproach. They profess to belong to Christ. They profess now to be his followers. They profess to be his slaves. And now may they live in a Christ-like fashion. Because after all, Jesus was even faithful to his profession of faith before Pontius Pilate. And he said, Timothy, you teach them to be faithful even when the hard times come. And not to give out or to give in until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Then notice in verse 14, Paul says that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word appearing in Greek means the glorious, shining appearance of Jesus Christ in all of his superiority, in all of his supremacy, and all of his majesty. You see, Jesus will never be humiliated again. He was humiliated once for 33 years, even being born in a manger. But those days are over. When Christmas comes and everyone is pitying this poor little baby Jesus in a crib, please 
don't you pity Jesus ever. For Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he needs no pity as he rules over the entire universe. So here he says to Timothy, be faithful until you see Christ. Until Christ appears in all of his glory and in all of his amazing power. And then Paul starts praising God. He says in verse 15, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. You see, whenever Paul gets theological and starts teaching theology, he breaks out in praise in some way or another. Go back to the first chapter of Timothy, if you will. There in the sixth chapter, he breaks out in praise, thinking about the second coming. But in the first chapter, he breaks out in praising, thinking about the first coming of Christ 2,000 years ago. And he says in the 15th verse of chapter 1, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy in order that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That is what true theology does to a person. And if you think you know a lot of theology, and you have your doctrines down pat, and you study theology, and you meditate on it, and you read books about it, and it doesn't cause you to break out in praise to God, something is wrong with you. Because the only alternative to a lot of theology and doctrine causing you to break out in praise is learning a lot of theology and doctrine that causes you to be arrogant. You know in this church a lot more than most other Christians know. But you can turn others off if you are icy cold in presenting it to others. So make sure you are studying true theology and revealed truth and scriptural doctrine that you are doing it from the heart and you realize that all of these doctrines point to Christ and fall, flow from Him. We didn't make them up. No praise should come to us. They are all interrelated. And the more doctrine, the more theology from the Bible that you know, the better you're going to know God. Theology. What does that word mean? The word theology is made up of two Greek words, theos, God, and logos, a theology, which is a word about God. That is what theology is. It is the knowledge of God as he reveals himself in his own word. And the more you know God, the more you know about him, the more you are going to want to praise him. 
you say, well, doctrine and theology, that's not really for me, then what you are saying is God is not for me. I'm satisfied with what I know about God. My little puny pathetic knowledge of God, I'm satisfied with that. So don't tell me anything more about theology and doctrine. If that's you, then you don't belong here at REC. If you are satisfied with your little teeny God, and you think you've got the creator of the universe all figured out, then your God is too small. And no wonder there's not this exuberant praise that arises from a person's heart when he thinks about God. Why get all excited about a God that needs man? is dependent upon man who is limited and doesn't rule over all. Why would you get excited about a God like that? But a God who is not accountable to you, a God who does what he pleases in earth and sea and all the deep places, a God who is holy, 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 and whose glory fills the earth, is the God who will arouse your heart to praise and adoration, just like Paul. Paul talks about the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus to save sinners, and it excites him. And he gets all emotional and overjoyed. Then in the sixth chapter, he just mentions the second coming. That's all he does. He just mentions the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, and again, he breaks into the praise of God. So let's look and see what he says about God. Because you see, these are some of the greatest things that you will ever understand about him. Some of this is a bit difficult, but this is our God. There is no other God than the God revealed in Holy Scripture. There's no other God than the God that is here described as he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light, with whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Now I want you to notice a particular pronoun here. Notice that all of those wonderful phrases and descriptions are not primarily about Jesus. They're about God the Father. Now, of course, they are true of Jesus also because he is God. But notice what it says in verse 14. You keep the command without stain or reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time which who will bring about at the proper time. It is God the Father. Now that's a, a great truth because of that one little pronoun. That Jesus is going to appear in the clouds of glory sometime in the future. We don't know when, and God the Father is going to bring that all about. Do you know why? Because he is still vindicating his son from the humiliation he went through at the hands of men. He was humiliated for 33 years. And then God says, that is enough. 
And then God raised him from the dead, and God caused him to ascend into heaven, and God caused him to be seated at his right hand, and God someday will cause him to appear as the last great final act of vindication and exaltation at the hands of God the Father. Now notice what it says about God. It says, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. We don't know, of course, when that will be. But he, God, who is the blessed and only sovereign. God is blessed. Who blessed him? I can guarantee that I certainly did not. And neither did any of you. So what does it mean to say that God is blessed. Well, does it mean, what does it mean to be blessed? It means to be totally and completely happy and satisfied. And to say that God is blessed is to say that he is totally and completely happy and satisfied in himself. And you nor I can add to that happiness nor take away from it Because that would make us more important than God. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But there is nothing about you or me that God needs. No earthly thing. In fact, you and I are of no benefit to God at all. You can't make him happier. And you can't make him sadder. You can't change his perfectly blessed state. Because if you could, number one, God is then not changeless as he says he is. And number two, that makes you more powerful than God to be able to determine what goes on in the heart of God. And there is no other God. You say, Gary, I don't want a God I can't have some influence on. Well, then you can make up a God of your own if you would like. But the only God there is, you cannot influence. I love what God told Job. He said, Job, do you think you're smart? Well, where were you when I created the world? He's saying, Job, the most important thing you have to learn about me is I am God that is not accountable to you. I don't have to answer your questions. I don't have to give you a reason for why I do the things I do. Sometimes I do tell you, but I'm not accountable to you. You are accountable to me. And Job, I love you. I I don't need you, but I do love you. I'm completely blessed in and of myself, but I love you. Now, if God loved us because he needed us, If he said, I need you because I'm lonely, I love you so I can be more complete, he really wouldn't be God, would he? How would it make you feel if someone was to say to you, God loves you because it transforms him and he needs you and you make it so he's not lonely any longer? You'd put your shoulders back and think, I must be pretty good. 
If there's something about me that God needs, I must be better than I thought I was. But that is not the way God loves. How does he make you feel? How does it make you feel when God says, I don't need you. I'm perfectly blessed in and of myself without you. You're no benefit to me, but I love you. In fact, I love you so much that I've given up my own son and I'm sending him to hell so that you won't be sent to hell. Now, how does that make you feel? I hope it makes you feel humble and broken. Why should such a God, such a great God, as this love a worm like me? So that is what it means to say that God is blessed. It means that he is perfectly sufficient and satisfied with himself. That the most important thing to God is not you and me. The most important thing to God is God. God is totally and completely self-centered. You say, well, Gary, I thought we weren't supposed to be self-centered. We are not supposed to be self-centered in any way because we are not God. We are to be God-centered. If God were to be man-centered so that everything he did was for man, it would be like the smartest man in the world with the highest IQ giving up all of his scholarships and all of his brilliance to take care of rats For the rest of his life, to feed those rats, to clean those rats, to keep their cages nice and clean. And you would say, this is the smartest man in the world. What a waste. But it would be even a greater waste for the infinite God to be man-centered than for the brilliant human genius to be rat-centered. So this great God is blessed, and he is the only sovereign. Now, sovereign is a word used for people in political authority, such as kings and presidents and congressmen and governors and such. It is the authority and the jurisdiction to rule and to govern. But in the highest sense of the word, God is the only sovereign. There's no one to whom God is answerable. There is no authority over him. There's no authority that he has to check with and get the approval of. And in that sense, he is the only sovereign. Every other sovereign in the world, every other person that has any kind of authority or power power is accountable to him, not him to them. He is the only true sovereign. All the rest of the sovereigns in the world throughout history, however strong they may have been, were grasshoppers, Isaiah said. They were mere drops in the bucket compared to the only sovereign, the only one in the universe who rules over all. Some people think Satan has great power, but he is just God's sheepdog on a leash that he uses to keep his own sheep in line. 
He has no authority and no power whatsoever above even or even equal to God. He's no threat to God. God doesn't sit up in the heavens wringing his hands wondering, what am I going to do with Satan? Is he going to throw a monkey wrench into all my plans? No, remember Psalm 2 says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Not because he thinks Satan is funny, but he laughs with content because he knows all of Satan's plans will fail. So God is the only ruler, the only one in the universe who governs everything. No one else does, and his plans never fail. Therefore, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no one equal to him or above him. Now, I hope you realize that phrase, King of kings and Lord of lords, is a political statement. Who is a king and what is a lord? He is someone that governs someone, like a civil magistrate that rules over a particular territory or over a country. And God is the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. Therefore, all political persons and civil magistrates are accountable to pledge their allegiance to his supreme authority or perish under his righteous scepter. You see, it's not enough for us to try and get back to conservatism in America. Conservatism cannot save America from anything. And it's not enough to get America even back to the law of God, as important as that is. Because if all you have is law, you are no different than a Pharisee. Our responsibility as Christians is to call America back to the law of God and to be king of kings and lord of lords again in this nation. We cannot rest until America is Christian. We cannot rest until every citizen from the lowest to the highest person in the civil government pledges allegiance to God as the king. And you know there's nothing unusual about that. My favorite patriotic song is My Country, Tis of Thee. And it is the last stanza of that song, which I like the best, where God is called author of liberty, great God, our king. Because you see, there is no liberty for a nation that does not confess that God is its king. So that is what we are to do. You go to your political officials or those people you are going to vote for whenever you get the opportunity to see them or you write them and ask them questions that will embarrass the daylights out of them. When I lived in Southern California, I was a member of an organization called Tax Reform Immediately. It was a national organization that had committees in almost every congressional district across America. What we did was print thousands of brochures called TRIM, again, Tax Reform Immediately. In that brochure, we would put the voting records of a district's congressman 
on six to eight of his bills that he signed on. And we would include what those bills cost per household. And we would go door to door handing those brochures out. You can probably understand the commotion that this caused. And we covered both Democrats and Republicans. Well, I received a call from the local office of Barry Goldwater, Jr., inviting myself and the officers of our committee to his office, basically to beg us to stop distributing our brochure. Because he said his office was being inundated with phone calls. We printed and distributed the brochure every single quarter. And this was only the second quarter, the one that we distributed up to that point. He tried to convince us that he was a conservative and he was on our side. And we were hurting his reputation. So we simply told him, well, when he starts showing his concerns for his constituents' pocketbooks, then they will start calling him to congratulate him and thank him. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.